This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Welcome to Episode 9 of Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today I'm joined by Jackie Barker, who is a doula. Hi. (laughs) Welcome, Jackie. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. Jackie, you're a sole trader these days as a doula, and people can find you at Love Cherub. Today's episode is on the miracle of birth and the empowerment of women in the birthing world. Tell me a little about yourself, Jackie. Okay. Well, my name's Jackie Barker, and I was a midwife for nearly 20 years, and then I had a a work injury, basically, and I was told that I wouldn't be able to work in the birth unit anymore and that, you know, I had some issues with postnatal work as well. So they said I could work in a clinic or I could change over to a desk job. So I went to work over in Hornsby Hospital for a little while. Hornsby Hospital in Sydney, Australia. Yes. And for about three years, I sat there on a desk with headset on and did a strategic role um, assisting patients uh, moving around different hospitals. So it was nothing really to do with midwifery. It was kind of a, a managerial role, ultimately. And I was just like, oh, I just got to get back into the birthing room. What do I do? And then somebody said, why don't you consider being a doula? And then I thought, yeah, I could do that. Nobody can tell me not to be in the birthing room anymore. And I can get the dads to do all the heavy work. So my neck's going to be okay. So that's how I ended up just starting from there, really, and became a doula. Jackie, you studied psychology in an arts degree and then moved into midwifery before becoming a doula. What brought this about? So I realised that I, I, I thought about becoming a clinical psychologist and then I realised it wasn't the right move for me. And I was a single mum at the time and a friend of mine said, why don't you study midwifery? You'll always have a job. And that was, you know, yeah, that that made sense to me, especially being a single mum, thinking I've got to look after these two kids. So that's how I ended up going into midwifery. And then obviously years later, after a work injury, I, I became a doula. And so there is a difference between a midwife and a doula. What's the difference? So ultimately it's a, a, a midwife is a trained professional who looks after women right through pregnancy, through the intrapartum period and in the postnatal period as well. And they're, they're clinically trained to care for well women and, and also for women who aren't so well and they care equally with an obstetrician in the background. So a doula has no clinical training and no there's no clinical aspect of care there whatsoever. So it's more of an emotional, physical support person through the perinatal experience, basically. The word doula in ancient Greek apparently means a woman who serves. And as you say, today provides emotional and physical support and information to women through pregnancy, labour, delivery, early days after birth, pain management techniques, reassurance, and sometimes advocacy in the labour room? Absolutely. So all of that, all of the above. Jackie, can you enlighten me on the journey of transitioning 
from a role of midwife to the role of a doula? Okay, sure. Um, basically, as a midwife, you're a clinical professional. And I have to say that there's, as a doula, I can't take out all of my experience as a midwife. And it does come into play. And that's why people hire me as a doula, because they know I've got that clinical experience and understanding. And I will recognise if things go out of a normal parameter. So if I'm at home supporting somebody through labour and I recognise that there are signs that are outside of the normal parameters, I will say, okay, we're going to call the midwife or we're going to go into the hospital now because I'm not happy with how it's going. Yeah, and also equally I can tell whether we should get in the car to go to the hospital because, you know, maybe we're pushing and I can make those decisions and say, well, maybe we should just stay at home and call the ambulance and have a home birth instead. I mean, that, you know, obviously is not what I intend to do, but sometimes that sort of thing happens. And I, I guess people hire me knowing that I'll know what to do if the baby does arrive suddenly. And I, I really, the, the whole reason that I really went into midwifery apart from needing work was I, you know, I enjoyed building relationships with women and families and helping them through this transition in their lives. So basically I just found that becoming a, a doula was just like what I expected it would be becoming a midwife. And I didn't realise that I would actually just be following protocols and running around like crazy, not building relationships with people like I wanted to. Yeah, so, and and then, you know, to become a home birth midwife, I, I did consider that avenue as well for a while. So it sounds like you find being a doula much more satisfying yep. as a job than being a midwife. Yeah, I do. And working with women and their babies seems like you're calling. For me, I'm addicted to birth actually. So that's the truth of it. I'm addicted to birth. And the reason that I'm addicted to birth is because at the moment of birth, there's this huge amount of oxytocin that's released into the air. And it's just this beautiful feeling. It's like just so high on love. And it's just such an amazing moment that, you know, I just got to go back and get some more. So, Jackie, what can women expect when they first engage a doula during their pregnancy? Okay, so I, I give an extended reading list, make sure that they're feeling confident about all the choices that they're going to make uh, around their births. And we, we meet a couple of times, we might just meet for a, a coffee and sort of get to know each other initially. And then, yeah, we, we sort of meet further down the line once they've read and done some antenatal classes, for example. But I'm always there at the end of the line if they want to have a chat or any queries about what they're going through. I understand the tradition of doulas extends from ancient times. In your experience, you will have witnessed so many births, and I'm sure they've all been very different. Some at home, some in hospitals, caesareans, emergency deliveries, natural births, with and without drugs... In today's society, do you feel women have choice or are there still trends? So in society today, it obviously depends on what, what country you're in and also your your beliefs and philosophy around birth itself. But basically what I do as a doula is I ensure that women do have choices around their birth. 
And that's really the main theme through what I do is providing choices for women. That's my passion. Some doulas, uh, maybe they had a birth themselves that perhaps didn't uh, go as they'd wished. And so they have this um, need to attend other births and heal their own birth. I don't have that in me. What I have is a strong need to help women feel informed about their birth choices. And that's, that's why I do what I do. How significant. And I've seen that on some of your social media, the word empowering mm. and an empowering birth mm. sounds like what you're talking about in terms of helping women to have choice. So I think, you know, the average person, the average woman that goes to the hospital trusts that whatever is being told to them is what they should do. And in fact, they're not actually being shown the full picture. Jackie, do you also advocate for things on a more personal level for the mother? For example, helping her choose who she wants in the room? That, that is totally in the realms of what a doula does um, because our role is obviously to make the mother as comfortable as possible and have the people in the room that she wishes to have in the room. So there are times when, uh, you know, people are um, very keen to get into the room, like mothers who are just so excited to get into that room. But it, it's not the um, wishes of the mother to have her mother in there. So... It's, I understand being a grandmother myself, it's such an exciting period and I was fortunate enough to be a part of the birth. Uh, but I think what I, what I try and do is just get mums um, to feel as though I'm looking out for them and then I go out and I speak to the grandmother and say, she's doing really well and she's going to be so excited to introduce this baby to you. So... You're saying the miracle of birth can come in all shapes and sizes, but there are still some women who come with a birth plan. How do you assist women when the plan goes out the window? So I encourage everyone to do a birth plan. And in fact, one of our meetings is two hours long in the antenatal period discussing the importance of the birth plan and putting it together and offering other suggestions that they might want to actually put on that birth plan. So all the women do a birth plan, all the couples do a birth plan, I should say. Um, and it's usually in a, a, a one-page format so that, and often it's a visual thing with pictures so that it can be easily read because having been on the other side, as a midwife, you haven't really got a, a, you know, a lot of time to read a 10-page document on what we don't want, basically. So... Um, yeah, it's, I think it's an important tool um, and, you know, it, it lets the care provider know exactly what it is that, you know, these people want and it makes that care provider stick to what their wishes are. It really, it gets them, you know, really understanding what the needs are and, and therefore it is really important because otherwise the care, care provider might just kind of make up what they want. So um, sometimes, you know, birth does have other plans, like you say. And, you know, some births do um, need intervention. But we discuss that at length, you know, in the antenatal period. And they all understand that anyway. Um, but usually there's a conversation, 
you know, if things are changing and there's need for intervention or that, you know, concerns are arising, there is a conversation that we have. And, um, yeah, and as, you know, a trained midwife, I understand when things need to be, you know, moved on. And I will openly say, yes, this needs to be done. That must be very reassuring for the mother. I suppose the unpredictability in labour is part of what makes every birth such a miracle. Well, I, I see it from a spiritual perspective, really. I think we all have our journeys, really. Um, and as much as we try and control our lives and try and have that control with everything, we cannot really control birth. You know, we need to go on that journey. But, you know, it doesn't always go to plan. I tend to agree with you that it seems there is this soul in, mm. inside or attached, however you believe the soul might, might be, that seems to be there right from the beginning. I agree. And so that essence of the baby and the way they are carried um, in the womb, the way they transit from the womb, it seems to be something we see then in the person they become that the birth and the labour and the pregnancy seems to have typified the nature of the being that then is birthed. It seems to be part of the miracle of birth. Yeah. I imagine that for women who don't have a partner, being a doula for those women must be quite different from being a doula for couples. Yeah, it it, it is, obviously. Um, you're there almost as, as a partner, you know, in the labour in the labour room, um, and yeah, th- there's there's more of a relationship that builds up. Um, you need to spend a bit more time because the level of trust and intimacy is huge. So, and there are other factors that play into you know being a single mum, obviously, and. So we need to sort of discuss all of that beforehand and just give that extra support that they need. And you would know both as a mother yourself and now a grandmother just how important that support for the new mum is. When you gave birth, did you have the right support you needed? No. No, I had no support people. Gee, so you've seen it all. Well, I mean, in those... I was 22 when I became a mother. Um, And... You know, I, I had no understanding of what... It was my mother who said, you need a private obstetrician. So I, you know, said, okay, I'll do whatever I'm told. And, and you know, my private obstetrician would call me sweetie because he could never remember my name. And he'd sit there and light up and have a cigarette <laughs> through the antenatal appointments. Mind if I smoke, sweetie? <laughs> so different. And then in those days... Um, you know, he, he said, oh, we're going to induce you. Um, okay. <laughs> no reason, just, you know, induction. Um, both times, induced both times. And, you know, I was only 40 weeks with with the first, uh, the second, I mean. Um, so there's no reason for induction except that it fit into the schedule of the obstetrician. Um, you know, he was, he was kind and sweet, but, you know... Um, Everyone had an enema as they walked in the door. Everyone had to shave themselves. And then everyone got an episiotomy as well. You know, that's that was just routine. And nobody questioned it. You know, that's just what happened. 
So both of my experiences were pretty much the same inductions. Um, the first I elected to have uh, an epidural because I was terrified myself of birth. So I had a, an epidural. Um, and in the second birth, it was an induction and again. Um, and I, I wanted not to have an epidural because I wanted to experience what it would be like to, to give birth as naturally as I could, given the circumstances. So it's interesting what you do learn from your first birth and you take it forward. And, and that's why, you know, a lot of people I see who've had the cesarean because their obstetrician said, you have to have the cesarean, you know, and, and then they say, but I really want to experience what it's like to give birth naturally. And, and I kind of did that in my own way. Jackie, it sounds like this experience is, it is what inspired you to give women the choices and empowerment that they can have today. Absolutely. You know, uh, I think I was just so innocent and trusting. And, you know, I really wanted to believe that um, everything that was being suggested to me was the only choice. Um, and now I realise that that really shouldn't have been the case and that I can assist people to make those choices. One of the things about the birthing world is that you have no idea until you have some kind of interaction, whether it's being in the room with somebody, giving birth yourself, or working in the profession. It's a, it's a special place. Mm. Yeah, the birthing world is a special place. And, you know, I guess it's mysterious if you have never given birth and men find it a very sort of mysterious place and they're kind of frightened of it and it's secret women's business it's a joy to be a part of it um and it, and it it's it's a sacred place too you know it, it's the start of life um so it's my whole world so it's very difficult for me to actually take it apart and say you know, because I know nothing about cars, for example, the secret world of cars. And really, you can just keep your secret world of cars because I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> My experience in the birthing world is very much on the periphery as a clinical hypnotherapist. Often women have asked me to design a particular hypnosis for them in preparation for their births. And as a hypnotherapist, children under the age of eight, we include the parent or a parent in the hypnosis. We hypnotise the parent and the child is usually on the lap of the parent and receives the hypnosis via the parent. And that's a very traditional way of hypnotising children for bedwetting and other kinds of disorders, nail biting. It seems in some of my experiences that it's possible that a baby within the womb may receive some of the benefits that the mother carrying that baby is receiving through hypnosis. Quite often I've been asked to script and record as I hypnotise the mother and baby to be soon delivered, a hypnosis in preparation for the birth to be as smooth and successful as possible. With the mother I will discuss and discover where the hospital is, how long the drive should take. We prepare so that the birth will happen seamlessly, smoothly, and we script it 
knowing the transit from the house to the hospital or wherever they may be when contractions start. And in quite detail, I hypnotise the mother and provide a recording. Mothers report to me that the birth was tranquil, successful, baby was calm, and that baby did completely calm down during a hypnosis and that the birthing was a pleasant experience. And Jackie, you are a trained hypnobirthing practitioner. Yes, that's correct. So I think it's really, it's such a great tool that, you know, I, I recommend everyone to do the course because it, it takes fear away from birth and society gives us so much fear around birth, unfortunately. I mean, you just have to watch, you know, a movie on birth and you'll have somebody screaming, ah, my waters, and everyone's racing and you're, you're like, really? It's really not what birth is about. Um, it doesn't need to have all that fear. So the the hypnobirthing course is, it's a philosophy really that to give birth is a natural experience. There's nothing, you know, you don't, you're not sick. So hypnobirthing, uh, as I say, is, it's a philosophy uh, that, that birth is natural and that women are made to birth and it takes the fear that society puts around birth, it takes that away and it builds confidence and it builds empowerment. And there are essentially, it's, it's made up of, of a bunch of components. So there's a self-hypnosis. Um, so the hypnobirthing practitioner reads scripts that were written by a, a trained clinical hypnotherapist. Um, so those scripts are read to the couples and the babies obviously get the benefits as well. Um, and the scripts then allow you, you practice those scripts and those scripts take you into a beautiful state of deep relaxation. And you repeat that over and over again, you know, every day for weeks before the birth so that you're able to really relax and you go into that state during your birth. So you, many women actually report that they don't actually perceive pain once they've done hypnobirthing through their birth. They, they actually say it was pressure or, you know, another thing, but it, they didn't actually perceive it as pain. Um, so it's a way to keep yourself really calm. And, and, you know, sometimes birth goes in a different way and people end up with cesareans even though they didn't want them. Um, but the course, if you've, if you've done your homework, will allow you to still enjoy the experience as much as possible and keep in a really calm state. Um, it's, it's powerful. And you have, um, is a, there's a component which is educational, which teaches you all about the hormones, you know, through pre through pregnancy and through labour and what's actually happening and, um, you know, how uh, how the baby's sutures can fold over each other and how we stretch beautifully and how our hips open up um, with the relaxin, all the hormones. And we so that that's one um, component of the course. And then... You have um, affirmations, visualizations, and you use those on a regular basis as well. It's it's almost like you you know if you talk to an athlete and they're trying to win, you know, a race, run for the Olympics or whatever, and the, you don't have that that athlete saying, "Well, I'm going to trip over and not make that ribbon." You have that athlete saying. I see myself being that first to touch that ribbon as I run. I'm going to win this race. 
And that's really how hypnobirthing works too. It's just a, it's a way of just keeping the positives there. Um, and it, it makes such a huge difference. And it gives dads um, something to do as well. Because often dads feel, I don't know what to do. I've never been through this, you know. Um, I'm scared. It takes that fear out and they suddenly have some scripts to help their, you know, partners with. Because we know, of course, hypnosis works on the mind-body link, which has been established well and truly by science. And as you say, what the mind perceives, it believes. And when you believe, you're much more likely to perform and achieve. And the body follows the mind. So if the mind is focused on a, a good birth, the body can follow and be benefited. The body is a robot. Of course, there comes a time, as you've said a few times now, where if hypnobirthing or hypnosis used for birthing isn't all that's needed, then surgeons step in or obstetricians, midwives step in and it's important to know when that line is. And it sounds like with a birthing plan, Jackie, that that's already set out for, mm. for women and their partners. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for obstetricians, you know. I'm, I'm grateful for midwives because we we know we're trained in normal and and we know when things uh, step outside of that. Um, so, you know, and that's when the obstetrician is really handy. You know, they're trained in abnormal. So that's why it's wonderful to have, you know, obstetricians, um, you know, helping as well. So if someone's questioning and pondering whether to ask a friend or a sister or someone close to her to be their support person or whether to seek a doula, how do they make that decision? I think it's important that that person has experienced birth. Uh, it, you know, it's, you know it, I think it's beautiful that, you know, let's face it, if we go back in history, um, it's, it's family members that that were the doulas as such. Um, and, you know, because the world has changed so much with obstetrics that, you know, we we don't have that close community anymore. We don't have women looking after women the way we used to. So that's why doulas have come in. Um, and, yeah, if you, I think the, the beauty of a doula is that there's no emotional connection history and they're they're you know they're a professional who's there to assist and they've experienced birth lots um so often if you ask a sister who's never been to a birth they may be more emotionally involved and they may not uh they may be perceiving you as being in pain and they may you know make decisions for you that perhaps they might not you know you might not want them to make necessarily so it's just it's nice to be an impartial person um as as a doula makes sense so how and when should someone find a doula uh so some people you know that they've got friends who've had doulas in the past um so you know it's word of mouth ultimately and certainly most of you know the people that I get a, a word of mouth, um, but you know there there's the doula network and they have a doula directory. Um, there's findadoula.com, so there are places. You know if and and often Facebook will have you know does anyone know of a good doula in the local area? 
Um, so that's that's generally they're the main places. But word of mouth generally is is where I get business from. And I imagine that's how you find the right doula for you. If it's someone who has been successful for a friend or a family member, then perhaps it's a good fit for someone seeking a doula? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a good idea that you you have a chat on the phone, you meet in person, you need to know that you you know, will get on because this is the one of the most important things you'll ever do in your life and you want to make sure that you get on really well with that person. So it's good to, you know, interview a few, see what their experience is. I mean, there are, there are doulas out there with, with various experiences. There are social workers that become doulas. There are accountants that become doulas. There are um, nutritionists. And, you know, so it's, it's important to see and... Um, you know, some are yoga teachers and, and you, you really want to find out what it is that each of those people can offer. Um, but you need to f- really feel a, a good connection with them and know that you can, you know, contact them whenever you need. It's important. How much should fathers be part of that decision? I think definitely as, as much as the women, you know, because the doula's role is, um, I guess how I describe it is the the pregnant mother is the mama toto in Swahili. The mama toto is the centre and then the concentric circle around that is the father and then the concentric circle around that is the doula and then around that, the midwife. So it, that's kind of how I, I describe it to people. So I'm looking after the dad as well because I want him to be the best support that he can be. I'm not there to be in the way or causing, you know, problems um, by saying, no, you shouldn't do that. I'm, I'm there to support them both and make them feel as comfortable as possible throughout their experience. I want the dads to really enjoy every single moment just as much. We've spoken of childbirth and mental health and mental illness in the process of women being pregnant and becoming close to birth, how do you manage when you find women are suffering psychological or mental health difficulties? So essentially, um, you know, we, we have a discussion at some point and often they're very open and say, you know, I, I'm seeing a psychologist at present. And if, if, you know, through the course of a conversation, I notice that they're struggling with something or there's repetition or there's anxiety or depression going on, then um, I'll refer them back to the psychologist and make sure that, you know, they're being looked after in that department as well. Um, and, I'll, you know, some women, they, they have a whole team looking after them and I ensure that they do have that team looking after them, especially if they've got bipolar disorder, for example, and um, they need that extra support particularly in the postnatal period when sleep is deprived. Um, And so a lot of uh, bipolar people need to ensure they get their extra sleep. So we we, um, set up a support network so that they're they're looked after in that respect. Jackie, can you share a little more about supporting women in the so-called fourth trimester? Yes. So um, I, I try and sort of visit the couples on the days where the midwife isn't coming to visit them 
um, and I'll bring a light meal. I'll offer a neck and shoulder massage with the oil of their choice. We'll debrief about their birth and then I will make sure that the breastfeeding is going okay. And if there's any issues that I can see with the breastfeeding, um, if I can sort it out myself, I will. But I, you know, I, I know some fantastic um, lactation consultants in various areas around Sydney, so I can sort of give them a call and say, do you mind having a visit here? And um, so, yeah, and then we, we talk about settling techniques um, and we, you know, go through the, the various ways to, um, you know, make sure that the child sleeps really well in between feeds and, you know, we'll talk about burping, we'll talk about, um, you know, gastric reflux that the baby might have or, um, you know, the various foods that the mother might be eating that might lead to little tummy aches and, and how to deal with all of those things as well. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I'll get calls in the middle of the night saying, you know, oh, the baby's been screaming for hours. And so, you know, we have a little conversation and, you know, trying to normalise everything, you know, and, and just reassure them that they're doing a fantastic job because that's what they need to hear. Not that, you know, I don't want them still wanting me to come over and, you know, reassure them. I, I want them to know that they're doing the right thing and to feel confident and empowered in that period. So is this a time when mental health is an issue? You talk about sleep deprivation after baby's born. Is this a time when mental and psychological health needs to be monitored? I think, um, it, yeah, in the, in the postnatal period, um, certainly you can notice things coming up. If I, let's say, let's say, if I notice that somebody's agitated and they're definitely not sleeping, um, and they're overthinking things and just not resting at all. Um, and they just seem to be more anxious than normal and their partner's worried about them. Then I'm already thinking two steps ahead. This could be postnatal depression developing. Um, and then I'll have a, I'll have a word with the partner and make sure, you know, that there is no history. Um, but yeah, I basically I do start to monitor things. And if, uh, you know, the, the partner's concerned, I will get him to contact me. And then obviously, um, you know, I speak to the midwives if I'm concerned as well. Um, and yeah, we, we then get mental health experts involved if it is turning into that. And, and we have to watch out for postpartum psychosis as well, which is rare, but it does happen. It sure does, um, and leads to bipolar diagnoses in some instances. And what can you offer when some mothers are so stoic that postnatal depression isn't picked up by the people in the hospital or their GPs? How can we reassure those mothers that it's important to be honest if they're not coping. Yeah, I think it's so important that, that they are honest about not coping. And, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of um, debate and discussion around what people, you know, think about mental health in the last couple of years. And I think that's wonderful because 
you know, you, you're getting celebrities who are coming out and saying, yes, I suffered with depression. And so it's, it is taking that stigmatization away, which is wonderful. And I just so encourage women who are so worried about that, uh, that they, they are open and say, because they do need the help. And certainly if they're consulting a psychologist as opposed to someone within the medical profession, it can be completely confidential. Absolutely, yeah. One of the good things to come out of this pandemic is this increased discussion about mental health and well-being. I read an article the other day which spoke of a woman who was born in the last world pandemic. She turned 100 when the coronavirus was just starting to spread around the world. The person reflected on how her grandmother's life began with the world pandemic and ended with another world pandemic. And this shows us how the world produces wars, pandemics and other disasters. And women go on and continue to give birth. Babies come and things work out. Times change, but people don't. So true, Jackie. COVID's really, you know, got something to answer for. All these women out there who, you know, they should be shining and so excited and happy and it's kind of taken their choices away in a lot of ways. Um, so most of the hospitals um, in Sydney, uh, for example, and all, all around Australia this is really, are only allowing one support person. In America, in parts of America, they have no partners allowed at all through the birth. So women are just going into hospital by themselves. Um, so um, and what I'm doing really is uh, discussing with women the possibility of a home birth, for example. Um, and there are a number of women who have elected to do so because they just they want to have the support that they had last time or that they had always expected to have. So uh, the other thing that, you know, if, if, you, if women want to have a, a hospital birth, obviously, um, and they feel safer doing that, that's absolutely their choice. And so... What I do is I say, well, I can come to your home uh, while you're in labour and, and basically just stay with you till the point where I think, yep, we need to go to the hospital because you're going to birth soon and then follow you into hospital. If they have an older child, um, then I'll stay and babysit that older, uh, older child until they return. Um, so they just basically go in, have their baby and then return home a few hours later. So while there seems to be a trend back towards home birthing, there's, as you say, Jackie, this escalation in the other direction of intervention. Yes, yeah, so I would like to see that, you know, we are turning around and going back towards home birth and natural birthing more uh, and getting away from, you know, the high caesarean section rates. Um, and I think that COVID is actually changing the way that we're birthing in, in a lot of countries. I believe that there is a trend that's starting to de develop towards home birth again. Certainly in, in the birthing world, it, you know, midwives and doulas are discussing home birth options a lot more. That fear, that Hollywood image of birth, really seems to disempower women when actually it can be a very empowering experience from what you're saying, Jackie. Yes. I mean, I think birth is, is well, it's 
it's a time in a woman's life when they come into their own and they actually go, wow, I did that. You know, it's just the most incredible, empowering moment. And, you know, um, there are so many women who uh, hire me and they've had a cesarean the first time and maybe a cesarean the second time. And then they, they come to me and they say, I really want to have a natural birth because I just want to know what it feels like. And then, you know, they have that moment. And they go, wow, I freaking did it. I knew I could do it. <laughs> Beautiful. Another thing I find fascinating about birth is that many women say that while they were in the midst of active labour, they were aware of two distinct parts of their minds. One part was really involved in what was happening in the birth, but then another part was detached and aware of or thinking about other things. As a clinical hypnotherapist, this reminds me that the mind protects us and helps us in physical and psychological experiences. I think what we do is we go, we, we internalise. And, and as you say, for some, we perceive it as transcendence. Um, I think, yeah, um, in natural birth, women... When they're when they're very much in in labor in established labor, they internalize. Um, and if they haven't got any analgesia on board, you know, no epidurals or any other things like that, then pain relief like that, then they um, they just go into themselves, uh, and they're not really they're aware of what's going on a hundred percent. They know what's going on in the room, but it's almost like there could be 10 people in the room and you really can't perceive that. You just know that you're there and you know that you're giving birth, but time kind of disappears and you're in a different altered state. That's all I can describe it as. And not only is birthing a transformative experience physically, but women learn so much more about themselves and what they're capable of which then helps them to prepare for this new title as mum. Mm, they certainly do. And, and in the postnatal period, those first three months, that's when you learn all about that new little being. <laughs> as a psychologist, we often find rituals are important to help with the experiences of birthing and dying. If someone is having their last ever birth experience... Are there any particular rituals you would put in place as a doula? I think if it's it's a thing that the woman feels very strongly about, we will definitely discuss it. And I will ask her what it is that she wants to do differently um, in this particular case. You know, there's the closing of the bones ceremony. There are, you know, there, there's binding, belly binding, um, massage. I mean, just pampering as much as possible in and and just you know maybe she'll want some extra support in the postnatal period as well um so we can set up some extra time and um just make it as special as she wants it to be but it, i mean she needs to lead it and let me know what it is that she wants you know does she want extra massages or does she does she want to have a particular um, birthing ritual, like a blessing way for this particular child, etc.? Well, it certainly seems birth is and will always continue to be a miracle. 
Thank you so much for joining with me, Jackie, and sharing your experiences in what is certainly invaluable work that you do as a doula. Thank you so much for having me. I really have thoroughly enjoyed having a chat today um, and I love what I do and I hope that I can keep doing it until I drop. And so people can find you, Jackie. How can people find you? So um, I am at www.lovecherub.com and uh, you can follow me on Insta at at lovecherubdoula. Please note any references to people, stories or scenarios mentioned in this podcast are purely theoretical and are not real people or events and are used to give context only. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes.